Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. everyone i'm guile i tweet at door podcast and tonight i'm joined by chicky hey i am chicky i'm at the chicken on twitter and devin hey this is devin gd harpo on twitter and tonight we're re um we're continuing our re-reread of jamie and brienne's chapters with jamie four from a feast for crows and the chapter starts as jamie and his company arrive at dairy and the castle is initially closed to him but once they make it through the gates, there's obviously a lot of activity and rebuilding, and he assumes that's Ke- that's Kevin's hand at work. But Pia, who's only known Heron Hall, is kind of like this. You know, this is a toy castle. Um, this isn't a big deal. That's so adorable. I get yeah. really is very cute. And you know, Jamie notices that Peck is explaining to her, and you know, he realizes that he has a thing for Pia, and thinks you know that Peck should go for it, basically assuming Pia is willing. And he thinks about how one of the mountain's men tried to rape her and Jamie had his head cut off. And the man couldn't understand you know, why since he'd, you know, he's like, I've had her half a hundred times. Um, but, you know, Pia, he gives Pia his, his head and Pia smiles and, you know, kind of puts the truth to the lie there. Um, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't exactly willing, let's say. Also, yeah. you know, Book Jamie's super not into this shit, right? Um, no. <laughs> like, it's a big deal to him. So we have this kind of gross scene, though. Like, as, as like nice as this is, we, we get this sort of gross scene then of Jamie. Um, Jamie gets taken to um, – he finds that Sir Kevin has l- left after the wedding, um, Lance's wedding, to Amy Fry. And that Lancel's praying. And the, the maester actually gives Jamie Lancel's rooms um, because and tells him that Lancel's been sleeping in the sept. But, you know, even so, the bedroom's kind of shitty, more or less. And, you know, Lancel's bed is just this lumpy, you know, this lumpy straw pallet. So it's like nothing, nothing great. But then we get this kind of, you know, kind of gross scene of Jamie taking a bath and... You know, he's kind of, you know, he's very, he gets aroused by Pia, basically. And, but then. Well, it kind of sounds mutual, though, the way oh, that yeah. it's written. Well, I mean, we she's know kind Pia's of making eyes at him and he's. Yeah. yeah. And we know Pia, you know, has been attracted to Jamie, basically, since she was a little, you know, a little girl. So. Anyway, yeah, well, and we know, Jamie's we know hot. that Jamie's been attracted to Pia, too, because he definitely was attracted to her in Storm of Swords, too. Yeah. He just was too faithful to Cersei. And, you know, he, his thoughts immediately turned to his bath with Brienne. And, you know, he's like, oh, I was dizzy and weak, and that's, you know, that's why I, I was aroused there as well. Um, you know, but he doesn't have that excuse, that excuse here. And, you know, he's like, he, he reminds himself that he, you know, he has to think of his Kingsguard vows and that Pia is better suited to Tyrion's bed than to his. And then... You know, just like Brienne, he um, 
tries to wipe away his feelings with a stiff brush. <laughs> um, I suspect it doesn't work any better for him than it does for Brienne. Well, and, it's, you know, this is kind of a running theme, though, throughout Feast, and it will be in dance, too. <laughs> Jamie's kind of horny. Yeah. Like, he's, he's, he really is. I don't know how else you put it. He's, like, constantly, like, aroused. I mean, it's kind of Tyrion-like. Yeah, I don't even but know this why is... you said kind of horny. Yeah, no, he is horny. He's just fucking horny. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking horny. Um, it kind of reminds you of Tyrion because Tyrion's a little this way. Jamie wasn't this way as much in Storm because of everything that was going on and because he was so focused on getting back to Cersei. But yeah, this is, I think, the real Jamie that you get right here. So, you know, also, despite his horniness, let's say, um, he, you know, he basically starts to matchmake for Peck, which I, I think to like eliminate the temptation of Pia in a way. And also just, you know, it's like helping a bro out, I guess. And, you know, tells Peck that basically he can use the, you know, he can use the bedroom if, if Pia is willing. And, you know, that he should treat her well. And Peck's like, I don't really know what that means. Like, how, how do I, what should I do? And, you know, Jamie is such a girl. Like, this is like Jamie's most girlish moment, really, where he is just like, oh, treat her like, you know, you're, treat her like you would your bride. Like, I can just picture Jamie like... Like this is this is like the one fan in Jamie that I feel like maybe has a little accuracy because I sort of can picture Jamie like cutting out pictures from bridal magazines for his wedding. Like he would actually be involved in the wedding planning a little bit. I think um, he has romanticized a marriage and a wedding like a lot. Well, he's romanticized a wedding night. I mean, he he yeah. does cover wedding nights a bit. Yes, I I will agree with you on that one. I mean, yeah, yeah he's. I mean, this is, you know, this is very progressive for Westeros, what Jamie's doing here. Like, you know, um, he's 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 going counter to what would probably be the narrative that Peck has been given, which is that, you know, women like Pia, who like Pia isn't formally a prostitute, but she is a servant. Um, And she's the kind of servant who is put in the position where, you know, it's easier for her to just go along with sexual demands from people a lot of the time, clearly. Yeah. You see that in, in Arya's chapters in Clash and I think in Storm too. Um, I think that the thing that makes, you know, and there, are, there are other men that are George of George's characters who would probably do the same thing, but this is a very Jamie thing where, you know, he, he sees that Pia is a person with dignity and should have some respect. And, um, you know, he's noticed that she's interested in Peck. And so he's like, OK, well, if she wants to sleep with you, then you can sleep with her. But, you know, you need to treat her well. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I mean, we're not sure what sort of sex education Peck has actually had. I think he's only like 14 or 15. Right. But um Jamie, Jamie's just very insistent that, you know, OK, this this is how you treat Anyone that you're going to take to bed with you is basically what he's saying. You know, you don't you don't treat her poorly just because she's a servant. Yeah. And um, it's good and it's nice. It's progressive for Westeros. It's not progressive for the real world because we would expect this for anyone, yeah. you know, engaging in any sort of sexual congress with anyone. But it's um, like this chapter, too, is like Jamie, like very much being like a father figure, like an, un- you know, an unintentional father figure, you know, to Peck and to later later to Lancel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we see it with we see it a little bit with his squires, you know, as as his journey rolls on, like he is very um, 
you know, he's he's embracing that role. You know, he's embracing the role of Lord Commander, but he's also, you know, embracing the role of, like, not an elder, but, you know, just as a, you know, a mentor, kind of. I mean, actually, you know, to be fair, obviously, he, he definitely embraced the role of mentor in his relationship with Lancel, or, you know, or not Lancel, excuse me, Loras, um, you know, or was trying to. So, you know, it's, it's you know, he's kind of fulfilling that role he doesn't get to with Tommen or he tries to with Tommen, but, you know, probably not hard enough, frankly. Um, but we see, you know, again, we see, like, if things were different and, you know, Cersei wasn't about to make a huge hot mess of King's Landing, like, you know, Tommen was going to, you know, Tommen had all the, Tommen had many of the tools to, to succeed. You know, he wasn't a stupid boy. He was willing to learn. He had, like, people around him, like Jamie and Loras and Marjorie, and that, you know, would have helped him be a good king under different circumstances. So it's just, you know, it's kind of, kind of a shame. I, I assume our poor book, Tommen, will also come to a not-so-great end. So. Oh, God, I hope I don't have to read that. All hail our kitten king. Um. So Lancel doesn't even join them for supper, and so Jamie and the kind of his head men have dinner with Amy Fry, her mother Marie, is it Maria, Maria, and you know some of the local. I think basically. it's supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be Mariah. Oh, Mariah. Okay, good. We'll call her. Mariah. It's hard to know with George, but and I think that was what he was going for. I just want to give you guys some some more ammunition for your Jamie is horny comment, because, you know, this is his description of, of gatehouse, Amy. She was a long legged, full breasted strapping girl of some eight and 10 years, a healthy wench to look at her, which I actually think he thinks like maybe that exact phrase about Brienne, the, the healthy wench. Um, though her pinched chinless face reminded Jamie of his late and unlamented cousin, Cleos, who had always looked somewhat like a weasel. <laughs> God, I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> uh, so, I love that later, though, he thinks about Mariah and he's like, oh, she's a handsome woman. Like, it's <laughs> clearly I mean, let's it's funny because he really. It, yeah, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. It's very rare for him to think that a woman is actually attractive. Well, and, you know, let's talk about Mariah a little bit because. You know, she's, like, clever. Like, she has her great, you know, your father was, you're, you know, hanged. Your father was not a tapestry. She's clever. You know, she's really participating in this discussion about the brotherhood. Um, she's funny. Like, she's totally Jamie's type. And I think, like, that's, like, it gets back to how he thinks about Kat. Um, you know, how how he often, like, Definitely, see, he definitely is like attracted to other than, I mean, and Brienne has a bit of wit to her. I know we don't always think so, but I mean, he's definitely attracted to a woman's personality quite a bit. And, you know, Mariah is like, has a lot going for her in that regard. Like, she's interesting. You know, she's an interesting person, which is so weird. Like, Merit Frey, like, when you think of like, her kids are Gatehouse Amy, Little Walder, and Fat Walda. So, I mean, like, of the phrase, she has a rather colorful collection of uh, offspring that we get to meet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, probably because Mariah herself is clearly a little bit smarter, let's put it that way. I mean, I mean... <laughs> Oh, George, George just rarely gives the for any fray anything. So that's probably the reason that like, you know, 
Amy is a little embarrassing with some of the stuff that she Amy's, does. Amy's so embarrassing. She's really embarrassing. It's actually really embarrassing to read. Amy is like, you know how, and I don't know, Devin, you might have a hard time with this one, but like, you know how sometimes you're, you, you're really drunk and you, you think you're maybe charming or you're flirtatious, but really you're just like makeup <laughs> down your face, like just a hot, disgusting mess. Like that's Amy in this chapter. We all know and have been Amy at different times. <laughs> we have um, all, we've all been an Amy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, this is a kind of fun scene, though. This whole little meal scene is fun, but it's also fun to see Jamie just like, okay, can you just, okay, you're the one who has the information. I'd just like to really know what's going on. <laughs> He's just not into any of the social aspects of this well, whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're talking back and forth about the brotherhood and, you know, we get little bits of Barrack and whether or not he can be killed and we get this first allusion to a cloaked woman, Um but, you know, Amy is like really Amy's pretty occupied with finding the right shoulder to cry on. And, you know, there's that great moment where she's caressing the golden hand and Jamie thinks, you know, does she think I can feel that? Oh, God. <laughs> Which just made me one of my favorite things. And Mine again, too. we've all been Amy. <laughs> I oh, God, I have been her. I just... <laughs> Uh, it's you know and you know like as with uh, as with the other as with all amy's you know she does find some willing participants like she finds some willing men essentially but yeah it's it's pretty sad Seems like she finds plenty of willing men i mean i don't think that's her problem (laughs) right no it's not her problem at all several (laughs) yeah yeah she just Um, kind of you know makes a fool of herself with jamie but then a lot of people do so what are you gonna do like she i mean on some level if we were plopped into westeros i feel like we would all be amy (laughs) like making (laughs) like throwing ourselves at jamie (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) um we also get this kind of nice tidbit about amy's dad Merritt frey um who was killed by the brotherhood and you know jamie thinks about Jamie actually squired with Merritt at um, Cray Call, at, with the Cray Calls. I don't think Cray Call is the actual name of the hall. Um, and he thinks about how Merritt was the bully among their group of squires basically until Jamie arrived. And I, I always like this passage because there is this perception in some of like the bro fandom of A Song of Ice and Fire that I think – treats Jamie as if he's the blonde villain in a 1980s John Hughes movie. <laughs> and, you know, no, Jamie's not a bully. Jamie's like the rich, the rich guy who's actually like nice, like, and would like bust up the person bullying, like the duckies of the world, if you will. Like that's, who I, I don't is. know. I mean, I don't know if I would describe Jamie as nice, but Jamie doesn't like people who punch down. Is yeah. the way that I would put it. Yeah. He never likes that. Yeah, and you know, and fray, like. <laughs> um. Anyway, so. So this kind of you know this this scene is just I feel like it's a little bit color like, it's a little bit color of the phrase and there are some scenes in. There are a few of these scenes with the phrase that I almost feel like are just set up to make us feel bad when all of them get killed like it's like that 
be careful what you wish for. Like if we're, you know, we want vengeance on all phrase. Well, do we really want anything bad to happen to Gatehouse Amy? Like, no. No, no. Like, I just want her. Like I just want her to keep doing her thing. Like you just keep doing you, Amy, <laughs> and everyone else. And you know, Mariah. I mean, yeah, she's afraid by marriage, but I certainly don't. You know, I certainly don't want anything bad to happen to her. Even like these, you know, like oh, what was the? I I read it as Darnell Frey, but it's not. And then I just oh, is it Dermot? I don't know. There was like a Frey that I just thought of as Darnell Frey, and now he's Darnell to me. And I don't want to. There probably is one. There are hundreds of them. They probably have every day. (laughs) There is no. What was it like, LeBron Targaryen? That was the name I wanted, like for the child way back when. I still think LeBron Targaryen is a great name. Um, Anyway. (laughs) So anyway, um. After dinner, Jamie visits Lancel in the Sept, and Lancel is even thinner than he was in King's Landing. And, you know, if you remember our hypothesis, which I'm still 100% sure is correct, is that Cersei was poisoning Lancel after his injuries at the Battle of Blackwater. So, you know, if he's looking kind of worse than he was in King's Landing, he's looking pretty bad. And, you know, he immediately asks Jamie to pray with him, but, you know, Jamie's not into that. He He's there for answers, but... You know, it's interesting. Like, I feel like Lancel's obvious, like, his distress and his condition kind of stops Jamie in his tracks. And instead of interrogating him or being angry or being anything, he's, like, immediately like, dude, you got to eat and you have to have a kid with your wife um, because he needs a derriere to hold the castle. I just wanted to say derriere. You did want (laughs) to say it. I know. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of the amazing thing about this. I mean, Jamie's been um, stewing is the term I'm going to use yeah. my little colloquial term on this information that Tyrion gave him in the last book about the fact that Cersei has been sleeping with Lancel, um, you know, and it's been this just kind of, I don't know, what's the opposite of a mantra? It's this negative mantra that's just been running over and over through Jamie's head. And he finally gets to Lancelot and like your impression is that he wants to like, you know, kill everybody who's been sleeping with her. Like he does the kettle blacks and stuff, but he gets to Derry and like, he can't be mad at Lancelot at all. <laughs> like, Lancel Lancel's looks destroyed. so bad. Right. And he's like, he's Lancelot's mad at himself enough for both of them, frankly, or, you know, it's, and There's he's no fucking point. up his new marriage. He's fucking up his entire life. I mean, you know, Jamie is looking at someone considering a life in, in religion as a real fuck up. Um, yeah. And he has, <laughs> Jamie has like, considering that he made one, he has like no respect for people who take vows of celibacy. That's for sure. Um, you know, like he, Jamie's just immediately worried about Lancel. I mean, like he goes here probably thinking, oh, I'm going to beat the crap out of Lancel if this is true. He never thinks that, but you kind of have that impression. Yeah. And then he gets there and he's just like, damn, kid, what have you done to yourself? Yeah, yeah I mean, he's it's, all sympathy for for Lance. That's it. That's it. I mean, Jamie just has compassion for everybody, which is why it's so funny when people think that he and Cersei are the same kind of villainous person. It's like Jamie feels bad for everybody. Jamie feels bad for the dead bear. Jamie feels bad for Lancel. Jamie feels bad for Pia. You know, yeah, Jamie I mean, feels bad for people that everyone else kind of Jamie overlooked. Jamie didn't want to name his horses because he felt bad when they died. You know, just yeah. like, all of these, all these little things. So, you know, Lancel, Lancel's pretty much in confession mode, and you know he, 
he confesses his part in Robert's murder and, you know, finally after a little bit of goading to sleeping with Cersei. Um, but he pretty much famously insists that it wasn't treason since he didn't finish inside, which no Lancel, that is not the way it goes. But you know, that's not how that works. That is not how that works. Does it make you wonder if Cersei's the one who told him that? Because I'm just oh, like, Cersei's where do you come up totally with this told him that Had to be. She yeah. absolutely told him that. And well, we always overlook how young Lancel was. I mean, he was what, 14 or 15 when yeah. he was sleeping with Cersei. I mean, he was really just a baby. So like Peck's age, you know? Right. Right. And I mean, he's not, you know, it's funny. Like, I think his experience is at the Blackwater. So, I mean, cause he's pretty callous to Sansa when, before the Blackwater, you know, he's like grabbing her so that Joff can like be a dick to her basically. And, you know, post-Blackwater, he is, you know, that changes him as a person, like, completely. Like, he is, he, you know, he acquires some depth in there, which is kind of terrible that he has to go, that he, go, you know, has to go through that to do it. But, I mean, it absolutely, it absolutely changes him. Um, and, you know, he, he tells Jamie that he loved Cersei and, you know, he wanted to be him. And, you know, it. It's so obviously honest that, again, you know, I think Jamie is just like, dude, like, you, you know, what are what are you doing? Um, OK, so I've always wondered, did did Lancel know then that Cersei and Jamie were fucking this whole thing of I wanted to be you? And it's like the whole the whole of Westeros has heard, you know, the letter that Stannis sent yeah. out at this point. So it's not as though Lancel's never heard this concept that maybe Jamie and Cersei were fucking. Did he know? I mean, I'm, I always just assumed that he knew. But yeah, I mean, there's no I mean, Kevin to... didn't know until very recently, it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a good question. Hmm. It's irrelevant, um, but Yeah, but no, it's, it's, you know, like, oh, you wanted to be him and you really took it to the extreme by, like, literally, <laughs> you know... But I mean, I think that he would everything, you know? but finishing inside. Right. Um, so Lancel tells Jamie that he's actually leaving to go back to King's Landing in the morning um, as part of the warrior sons. And, and Jamie is like, uh, what? You know, he, he's not really comprehending that, you know, why, why the Iron Throne would allow this. Um, well, he's what he's what he's thinking without thinking it is who would be so fucking stupid. <laughs> he knows the answer. Um, and you know, again, he he just doesn't he doesn't understand why Lancel would give up everything. You know, he'd give up a land, a castle, a wife, and you know, sons for this celibate or celibate order. And you know, Lancel just asks him, you know, why did you? And he thinks, you know, he thinks the answer is it honor, is it glory? And you know, no, he realizes that it was for Cersei. Um, you know, he. He gave up everything for Cersei and it kind of, you can kind of just feel him, feel it hit him. Like it's not, I'm sure it's not a new thought to him, but you know, when he thinks about in A Storm of Swords, when he thinks about, you know, Cersei coming to him in Eel Alley, like he, it's like a fond memory almost, you know, like, oh, it was like this great sex, you know, (laughs) and, you know, there's nothing you know, there's certainly nothing fond or, or nothing, you know, lovely in, in this spot for him. No, he's just bitter now. Yeah. So he leaves Lancelot to his prayers and he kind of tries to throw off the encounter with 
like some jokes to the people guarding the sept. But you can tell that it had quite an impact on him as he is sparring with Ilan Payne. Because, you know, it sort of starts to bubble up like these, like his own sins. You know, Lance has done all this confessing to him and now he's confessing to Sir Ilan. Um, and he talks about how this was after after the incident on the King's Road with Arya and Joffrey. And he, Cersei had ordered it, you know, Cersei had called him to their, to her and Robert's chambers. And, you know, he found Robert passed out on the floor, which Robert, and, um, he and Cersei have sex, like, right as Robert's like on the floor, um, which is sort of like Vanderpump Rules, uh, season two people. And, um, Fuck, I don't even know. Yeah. No, but can we just talk about how like fucking brazen this is that they literally just banged on the bed next yeah. to Robert passed out on the fucking floor. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean it is insane, right? And you know, Jamie thinks that if Robert would have woken up, he would have just killed him. Which, you know, I Which think is probably true. Probably true. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, as they're doing it, Cersei's saying, I want, I want, and you know, Jamie tells Ilan Payne that, you know, he she was saying I want you know I want you but it turns out that she wanted him to, to find Arya and maim or kill her and you know Jamie thinks he would have done it if he had found Arya first and it's just it feels like to me it and I think you know this has been said a lot before but it kind of feels like this is his like that's his bottom moment you know is that like God, he would have like maimed or killed like a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah. You know he they continue to fight, and he has this line where he thinks um, Sir Ilan's pockmarks are as black as his soul, and you know he tells Sir Ilan, you know, maybe you were fucking my sister too, and Sir Ilan just laughs at him as their fight continues. So it's just, um, you know. it's this kind of dark moment and, you know, really like it's a movie and in some ways it's like a fun chapter at the start. And then I think his conversation with Lancel is really moving like that compassion that you talked about and just like, you know, kind of sadness of, of what Lancel of what, you know, what we can see Lancel doing to his life. And then, you know, just this, like, we see how dark Jamie was, you know, like, I think think we love him now, but yeah, I mean, he was freaking dark. I think you can just kind of, you know, draw a parallel between what Lancel has let his life become because of Cersei. Yeah. And Jamie going, what did I do? What what did I let my life become because of Cersei? I'm not in the camp of, you know, Cersei's to blame for, you know, decisions that Jamie made. Absolutely not. And Jamie thinks that here too. himself. He's like, my soul is dark. You know, yeah. he, he was choosing to do this shit. But, you know, he's just kind of recognizing, like, what was my value system? Why was that? Why was that what I was living and dying for? You know, like, why did it matter so much to me to make sure that Cersei had what she wanted or that she was happy? You know, I mean, like, he's he's really he's seeing he's seeing the physical effects on Lancel, but he's looking at kind of the internal effects on himself, I think, from just, you know, living living the wrong life. Yeah, and, you know, as much as he's urging Lancel to make different decisions, it's like this is part of his process, I think, of of realizing like, oh, I can make different decisions. You know, and he's had these like fairly small, you know, these define that's fairly small. I forget about, you know, him freeing Tyrion, but he's had these moments of defiance with with Cersei and, you know, with his father even. And, 
you know, this is, I mean, this almost feels like his turning, not really his turning point in a way, but just like, and I mean, he already has, he has like a rebirth in, in the bath and, and whatnot, but this does kind of feel like a, a little bit of a turning point in like acknowledging like, like how shitty he was, I guess. And yeah. Oh no. It, what he it could have become like, he could have been Lancel. Like, you know, Lancel's basically marching to his death if he goes to King's Landing and, you know, we'll see Jamie not do that later on, you know? Well, that's it. I mean, this this whole journey, this book for him is about going, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. And he hasn't quite arrived at what the that is anymore. Yeah. But this is one of those moments where you see he's finally really getting it. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, you know, this thing with Cersei is bad news. It's always been bad news and it always will be bad news. And, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of things that contribute to that decision, you know, and in no small part, it is the fact that it's finally confirmed for him that she has been sleeping with, you know, other people. Um, it's definitely part of it. But, you know, he's not happy. He's not happy with the decisions that he was making when he was prioritizing whatever she wanted. And um, yeah, I mean, he wasn't just, happy with the person he was. No. Yeah, well, yeah, no. I mean, like, well, I don't know, because he in so many ways still is exactly the same person, but he doesn't want to live for this anymore and that's what that's what the symbolism of him eventually burning her letter will be it's you know he's just like i need to break this tie he he's recognizing it here he's seeing with lancel how bad it can get Mm -hmm. because lancel still thinks well of cersei somehow (laughs) i don't know how but jamie recognizes that that is an issue too jamie's like no it's you know it's you know lancel as much as, you know, we're sympathetic to Lancel, he's a weak person. And I, I mean it in terms of, you know, and obviously, I mean, being physically terribly injured and poisoned, like the physical weakness is going to lead to, you know, the mental weakness as well. But I mean, he's he's seeking, you know, he's seeking answers and seeking atonement in you know, these questionable institutions. And, you know, Jamie is definitely not, you know, he's not someone to put his trust in that anymore. And, you know, he's he's seeking that in himself, which is why, you know, hopefully I feel like he, you know, he meets a better end or he succeeds more in it than Lancel does. Um, Cause he does, you know, he does have that inner strength and, you know, they were both, you know, he and Lancel obviously were both like horribly physically tested and, you know, Jamie kind of came out of the other side of there and I don't know that Lancel did. Clearly Lancel did not. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not dead yet, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I think it is. So we all coming. sense that coming, right? Yeah, like you know, so well, a lot of a lot of awaits. people, a lot of people think that Lancel will be the Faith's champion. I don't know why that would happen because he's clearly so physically weak. But that would make no sense. I know, I know. It's a big theory, though. Yeah, just because it's who we know, I guess. But yeah, it's. I mean, I have nothing but sympathy for Lancel, and it's you know again like. He is one of those characters that, you know, to go back to the show a little bit, like poor Eugene Simon, like was awesome as Lancel and had so much range. Like he was so funny with Tyrion. And then, you know, I mean, they never really gave him the tragic, you know, they didn't really give him that this Lancel was never in the show, which is a shame because I have no doubt he could have portrayed it very well. But, you know, even like the strident religious Lancel, he did, you know, he did a really nice job. So it's, it's too bad we didn't get to see him 
in this scene because I think it would have been, and I mean Nikolai in this scene too. I think, um, you know, it would have been nice to see that. that to even imagine, you would have had to have <laughs> Jamie and Cersei actually breaking up on the right. show for yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Jamie ever ever finding out about this. Um, any last thoughts on the chapter before we get to the mail? I'll just say I I love the fact that I'm pretty sure it's Brienne's next chapter where she makes the confession to the elder brother. And I kind of like the, um, you know, come to God moments that both yeah. Jamie and Brienne have one, one after the other in the book. I don't know that hers is the next actual chapter after this, but I, I think, think her, I think, yeah, it is the her next aisle. chapter that we will do. Yeah, is yeah, is that so I think it's kind of a cool thing. They're both having crises at the same time. So we have a, a little bit of mail. Um, Clearance Unicorn on the subreddit says, uh, I love his whole conversation with Lancel. Jamie is so snarky and yet still trying to get Lancel to just bloody eat something. Also the deathless line, it is not treason unless you finish inside. Um, uh, we have a couple of questions on the subreddit around from The Hound Abides and then MH, MHSMP. Um with you know the gist of it being, do you guys actually think that Jamie would have killed or or maimed Arya if he found her first? <clears throat> he, you know he thinks he would have. God, I love how none of us want to answer that. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah, it's hard. It's oh it's, yeah, that's. I mean, I can see him like. I could see him doing it if he never had to see her face, but I feel like him seeing the face of, you know, like a nine-year-old girl, like, I don't know that he yeah. would do that because I think, you know, the, he, I mean, I feel like from what we were, you know, from, from what we have of Jamie, like he loved Rainey's like he, those, you know, Rager's Rager's children, that kind of weighs on him and it's hard to think of him killing. I, I was going to say, it's hard to think of him killing a child. And then I'm like, what did throw Bran off the yeah. window? Yeah. And that's what know. I was trying to think of was like him throwing Bran from the window, but that's different in a way. Cause it's in that moment. Yeah. Like yeah. For, he would have to go find Arya. Like that would take you like, it's just not in that moment where he has to make the decision right then and there. So he yeah. would have to go find her and do it. And again, like you said, like seeing her face, in that moment, I don't think he would have under those circumstances. Yeah. Well, and the stakes are completely different than they were with Bran. Yeah, they were in imminent danger with Bran. Because, I mean, if Bran gets down from that t- tower and goes and tells somebody, then, like, they're yeah. done. But, like, it's not the same with uh, the Arya situation. That just would have been purely for Cersei. And I, as though he thinks he would have, because, I mean, he's at this point thinking he's he really was that much of a like terrible person or whatever. I don't think he would have. Yeah. I, I have a hard time thinking he could have killed her. I, I, I seriously, when, when you were reading that question, I was just sitting there thinking about like a parallel of his hand getting cho- chopped off, which is what Cersei wanted. She wanted Arya's hand. Yeah. And I'm like thinking of him having someone hold Arya down and like chopping her hand off. And it's just nah. really difficult to imagine. I mean, in the moment, look at everything could... we've just seen with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like here he has this much compassion, which don't don't think it's a mistake that George put this stuff with Pia in this chapter. It's not a mistake that it's there. You're yeah. meant to be thinking about that as you're then later reading what so, he 
he would have what he wonders what he would have done with Arya, and it's like I can't imagine Jamie holding her down and cutting her ha- a hand off a, a nine year old kid. Yeah. I like I can't imagine it. Like it's more about like how how he thinks of himself, like how he thinks like I was, you know, how awful he thinks he was. I and, think the fact that he even considered it is awful to him. Yeah. Yeah. And how, you know, he wouldn't say, you know, he didn't say no to Cersei. He couldn't, you know, and again, it gets to that whole idea of, you know, him breaking free from her from her influence, you know. And this is just one more thing on the ledger of of reasons to do that. Um, We have a little bit of a message from Sir Bonifer about this chapter. Um, To the surprise of no one on this podcast, I'm finding Book Jamie's break with Cersei so much more satisfying than the version the show gives us at the end of Season 7, where Cersei addicted Jamie performs an abrupt abrupt heel turn based on suddenly realizing that his sister is an oathbreaker who makes short-sighted decisions. (laughs) I guess show Jamie was asleep for the past few seasons or something. Um, And instead of being angry with his cousin, Book Jamie is reflective, seeing his relationship with his sister in a completely new light. He gave up his birthright for Cersei. He committed treason for her. He would have killed Robert to protect the relationship. Um, he suspects he may have been willing to maim or kill Arya in order to please Cersei. It's no coincidence that Jamie thinks the things I do for love, the phrase he used as he attempted to kill Bran. It isn't just feeling betrayed by a lover. It's recognizing how that quote-unquote love was obsessive and corrupting. It's looking back on his entire life, questioning why he did what he did and how much he's allowed himself to be led. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, that's a good phrase. Like, he allowed himself to be led. Um, uh, Mary Claire sends us a, a Gmail. There are so many ways the show per- perpetrated its character assassination of Jamie Lannister, but one in particular that gets under my skin is how it made him a whiny, reluctant bitch about training with his left hand. Even people who hate Jamie don't dispute his reputation as the best swordsman in Westeros. He couldn't have won that reputation without a lot of practice. When he chose to live, motivated, motivated by Brienne, remember, his decision to learn to fight left-handed was already made because that skill is so central to his identity and his martial way of life. I think Jamie has developed the maturity to accept that he may never be as good of a fighter as he was before, but he hasn't lost the drive to try. Um yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Every time I reread these chapters, I forget how prominent his training is in them. And it is pretty prominent and it's actually detailed. Like George could have just alluded to it a couple of times or maybe shown the one scene, you know, that we just saw with, with him and Ilan where he's kind of confessing to Ilan about Arya and all that. Yeah, and we get like, like, you know, he's getting beat up and making, you know, jokes about, oh, it's love bites, haha, you know, and it's, no, I mean, yeah, like night after night he's going through this. It's a constant thing, and it's like, why do that? Uh, you, you just don't need to, I mean, George does like to fill things out, but I, you really don't need to do it. I think, I think he is going to get better. Obviously, he's never going to be what he was. But um, I think he will get better. I mean, yeah. George even had someone in, within these books who did this. So yeah, right. We have. I, I Donald, think we will see him. Uh, Corn halfhand, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have a, a note from Wax Paper Door on the Jamie Brand subreddit who said, "Excuse me. The first time I read A Song of Ice and Fire and A Feast for Crows was on a holiday where I spent a lot of time on a bus." 
I devoured the books and don't remember much about the holiday itself, but I can remember specific moments of reading a chapter for the first time in what I was doing. If Jamie won A Song of Ice and Jamie won A Song of Ice and Fire was where I realized I liked the guy, regardless of anything a game in A Game of Thrones or A Clash of Kings. And Jamie four five, also a Song of Ice and Fire, was where I was one hundred percent all in on Jamie being a good man. Then Jamie three, A Feast for Crows, was where I realized I was completely in love with him. That was an interesting realization with my face pressed up against a window, surrounded by old people. How could you not, though? It feels like spring or a fresh start as he leaves King's Landing, where he has obviously been so unhappy, and heads out to the life he truly enjoys as a soldier. He gets to stretch muscles he hasn't used in a while, and it feels good for him and for us. Jamie in command is the hottest version of this human disaster. Um, how sweet of I mean, Jamie's not naming his horses, and, you know... Mentions this Bonifer Hasty, which I think is from Jamie 3, actually, where um, his comment to Bonifer that this must have been an uncommonly sinful horse while they're looking at what's left of a poor beast still makes me giggle. Um, Jamie has absolutely no time for anything approaching religious zealotry, which in Westeros and AC 300 seems to be everywhere, which, yeah, I mean, that's definitely... He's definitely our, like, agnostic guy. Although I will say, for as much of that, when, you know, when he was in the depths of despair after losing his hand, I mean, what was he doing? He was praying. So. Um, yeah, although he kind of makes fun of himself for it, but yes. Our Jamie. Um, any last comments on these chapters? Or on this chapter? I uh, just... I mean, I just completely agree. This is this is as much fun as a Storm of Swords is. It's these later feast chapters where you really get Jamie, Jamie, Jamie yeah. as his own Jamie. And it's pretty hot. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean, I think it is a breath. I mean, it's interesting, you know, at the start of Jamie three, when Cersei is talking about, um, you know, how he's so bloodless and all the life has gone out of him. And it's like you know, because of you, basically, because he's in King's Landing, like, the second again, like, as soon as he leaves King's King's Landing, he is, like, so happy, obviously, I mean, he's not, like, obviously, he's not, like, super happy in this chapter, but, like, he's a hell of a lot happier dealing with Lancel, of all people, than he was in King's Landing, you know, and, yeah, he is way more in his element, and, um, you know, making it, you know, he's in his element, making a difference, doing, you know, doing what he's good at it feels like you know and he's you know it's like it's not just the sword play like he's good at this he's good at commanding these men you know he's doing a good job yeah it's like he's doing it's like he's doing internal work too you know i mean like it's just kind of a a, an all-around like good feeling watching what what he's doing in the riverlands and it's kind of like our friend bonifer said i mean it's just like you know he's just not he doesn't want to be led anymore and it, it's a really nice thing to see. It feels earned based on the journey that we've seen him go on. Yeah. So um, that brings us to the end of the chapter. But if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Um, find us on Close the Door and Come Here on Tumblr. Participate in the conversation on the Jamie and Brienne subreddit. Or you can email us at CloseTheDoorAnd at gmail.com. Become our Patreon and you receive special benefits from the podcast, um, such as early episode releases. And you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, wherever you find your favorite podcast, we should be there. So 
gang, I am closing the door. Get out. <laughs> <laughs>